it is wrong perception of myself which is the cause of my unhappiness and therefore the right perception of myself or the knowledge of myself as I truly am that would eliminate the grief because the only cause of grief is myself a limited self is the cause of my unhappiness so discovery that limitedness is not right in fact I am free from all limitations the discovery of myself that seeing myself would make me completely happy with myself Atmaneva Atmanatushtaha as Lord Krishna described a wise person how he is totally happy with himself by himself how can you be happy without any means of happiness meaning this person does not need anything to be happy he does not need any desirable object he doesn't need any desire to be fulfilled he doesn't need any success or respect or whatever are conventional thought to be conventional source of happiness without any of these conventional means of happiness person is still happy which means that he must be the source of happiness it's not that Atma has changed it's the perception of the Atma has changed Atma itself is Ananda but it was taken to be limited and therefore there was Dukkha or unhappiness that is gone Tarati Shokam Atmavit as Sandhya Gopanisha says the knower of the self crosses the grief <coughs> simple this is all Vedanta is Vedanta teaches us the right perception we are born with wrong perception that's how it is ignorance is not just lack of knowledge ignorance is not knowing the true nature of something and taking the thing to be contrary to what it is usually ignorance is absence of knowledge I'm ignorant of Chinese or Russian language I do not know it that's all but here ignorance is not just not knowing myself in that case I would be bliss then they say ignorance is bliss that's the kind of state that obtains in deep sleep when I'm totally unaware of myself at that time I have no self-consciousness so no complexes and therefore no self-rejection no self-dissatisfaction and so I'm happy as soon as I wake up I become conscious of myself and then I have an opinion about myself perception of myself or judgment of myself where I take myself to be a limited being <coughs> so the fact that the wise person is happy for no reason at all the fact that the knowledge of the self eliminates all the grief shows that it is ignorance of self which was cause of grief and the fact that the wise person is happy for no, there is no reason at all shows that happiness is the nature of the self <coughs> this is what Lord Krishna taught the true perception of the self and this teaching was in light of Arjuna's current opinions about himself which every human being has in case of Arjuna the cause of his grief was death death of the near and dear ones which should be cause for anybody but certainly you will wonder whether why Arjuna anybody would be unhappy or grieving at the prospect of the death of near and dear ones but Lord Krishna says there is no such thing as death as far as self is concerned Ajo Nitya Purana self is unborn and therefore undying indestructible free from growth, decay, changeless, ever the same and therefore if you knew the true nature of yourself there will be no cause of grief because then there is no death there is no death as far as Atma is concerned Swami alright the self does not die but the body will die but that you can't prevent anyway Jata sehi dhruva mrityu dhruvam janma mrutasya Jata sehi dhruva mrityu means that death is certain for the one who is born as you know you cannot avoid that fact but one important thing Lord Krishna says there which is often missed is dhruvam janma mrutasya that birth also is certain for the one who dies 
as long as the person is ignorant, you know, that there is an exception there, a wise person is an exception, but otherwise, birth is certain for the one who dies, which also is very comforting. That there is no such thing as death once and for all. There is no such thing as cessation of your existence. All it means is that you continue to exist in a different embodiment. So Arjuna then, what is the cause of your grief? There is no death for Atma. There is no death even for the subtle body of the Jivatma. And the gross body is born because of the prarabdha or destiny. And when the destiny is exhausted, the, the body will not remain anyway. It will die. Tasmad apariharyate natvam sochidamarhasi. Therefore, here Arjuna, it does not behoove of you to grieve for what is inevitable. So there is an order and the order takes care of things. There is no point in grieving because the sun rises. It is going to set. Suppose you start crying because the sun is setting. There is no point in that because it is inevitable. Day comes, night will come. And so, that is the reality of life which you should learn to gracefully accept. <coughs> so, graceful acceptance of the reality of life. This is what Lord Krishna taught. In this sentence, Tasmada Parihariyase Natvam Shochitamarhase It does not behoove of you to grieve for what is inevitable, what you cannot change, what you cannot control. There is no point in grieving about that. The grief is because you resist. Grief is because you reject. Because it is not in keeping what you want and therefore you reject it. So what Bhagavad Gita teaches is, and we will see it in Karma Yoga, it is not that I demand that things should work the way I want them to work. It is that the things will work in their way regardless of what you want. And therefore, change your want. Keeping things as they are because you cannot change them, you cannot control them. Therefore, the right thing is to change your attitude. Demanding that there should be no death, Arjuna, that won't work. Because the one who is born is going to die today or tomorrow. And therefore, rather than making a demand that there should be no death, accept that death is inevitable and therefore accept it gracefully. Be prepared for it. <coughs> so this is all Jnana Yoga. This is Yoga meaning this is a knowledge that Lord Krishna gave. Both knowledge of absolute reality as well as knowledge of how to function in the world. <coughs> and also Lord Krishna taught the Karma Yoga. That also we talked about yesterday and we will talk about it further. And what is the purpose of teaching Karma Yoga? What is Karma Yoga? Karma Yoga is performing Karma or your duty with the spirit of Yoga, with the spirit of offering to Ishwara, with the spirit of self-offering. That will be amplified in the third chapter. <coughs> So these two things are taught. And as we said yesterday, Lord Krishna concluded this discourse in the second chapter with a very beautiful description of a wise person who was described as totally free. Vihaya kaman yasarvan pomam charati. One is free from all needs and therefore he just wanders about anywhere because any place is as good as you know, any other place, because this person has no demand. He has no need. How come he has no need? Because all his needs are satisfied by his own self. You mean Swami, you know, he doesn't feel hungry or thirsty? No, that kind of a thing. What we are talking about need is emotional need. He has no emotional needs. As far as physical needs are concerned, like appeasing hunger and thirst, they do not see much problem in that. Because in Ishwara's system of creation, there is provision for all living beings that they will be given what they need. So people in India, at least sadhus, are not much concerned because they can go and, you know, stretch your hand uh, you know, and beg, please give me food and they will be given. So that need not be concerned. A shelter need not be concerned, at least in weather in India, you know. Here, of course, you can't live under a tree, but there you could live under a tree in a temple and place like that. Sura Mandira Tarumula Nivasa Sayyabhutaram Ajiram Vasa. 
as Shankaraji described in another place, Sura Mandira Tarumula Nivasaha, he is dwelling in a tr- in a, under a tree in a temple. What kind of mattress does he have? Shaya Bhutalam. The earth itself is a mattress. What kind of clothes does he have? Ajinam Vasaha. In, in, in the uh, skin of an animal, not animal killed, but animal that you find, a skin, that is his cloth. So what kind of possessions does he have? Sarva Parigraha Bhogatyagaha. He has given up all the means of bhoga or enjoyment because he doesn't need them. So that is how a person is described, a free person is described. Of course, that poem says that just because you outwardly look like this doesn't mean you are free. This is an expression of inner freedom, meaning that we need not equate the external appearance with inner freedom. Because that it says, there can be a person who possesses nothing and still he can be bound within himself. So there also another sadhu is described. But this person doesn't have anything. And he does not need to protect himself in the in the at night. During the day, in the winter, he or you know, he sits in the sun. In the evening, he lights up the fire. When the fire is put out, then he puts his head in and between the knees, and that's how he spends the whole night. He doesn't even have any begging ball, karatal bhiksha, tarutalavasaha, living under a tree, his two palms are his begging ball. So ideally, you know, he renunciate, but still, it is quite possible that that person may have lots of desires within, in which case, the external appearance is not necessarily an evidence of his inner freedom. But inner freedom will also manifest in this kind of expression. So, Lord Krishna described a wise person, Charati, one who freely moves about, because he is free from all the needs, he makes no demand upon anybody, therefore he is no attachment to any place, no attachment to anything, which means that no attachment means he loves everything. He loves everybody, every place, everything, and therefore he is at home wherever he is. Nirmamo nirahankara. He has no possessions. He doesn't claim ownership of anything. He doesn't have any ego. So he doesn't demand any respect also. He enjoys a peace. So this was a picture of a wise person. He renunciates. So he said, this is knowledge. And knowledge is praised as a means of moksha or ultimate freedom. So in light of that, Arjuna asks here, Jasichet Karmaste Mata Buddhir Janardana. He Janardana. So the commentators here see also a certain purpose why Arjuna addresses Lord Krishna as Janardana. Jana and Ardana becomes Janardana. Ardana is from the root Ardha, which has two meanings. One meaning is in the Vyachana in terms of asking or begging or desiring. So, Janehi Ardhyate. Who is Lord Krishna? The one who is prayed for by the devotees for fulfilling their desires. So, Janardana is the Lord to whom the devotees pray for fulfilling their desires and who fulfills the desires of the devotees. So, Arjuna is suggesting, Lord, I am also a devotee. We say that Arjuna is perplexed, he is confused, he is bewildered. Because he thinks that Lord Krishna is telling him something which is not the best for him. On one hand, Lord Krishna is praising knowledge and asking him to perform action. <coughs> so he is appealing to Lord Krishna, look, I am also a devotee. And it is your nature to fulfill the desires of your devotees. Therefore, my desire for moksha, that I am a mamokshu, I am desirous of moksha. It is quite appropriate that you fulfill that desire of mine. Don't ignore me. If knowledge is the means for moksha, why are you asking me to perform action? Jasi chet karmaste matabuddhi janardana. He janardana, O Lord Krishna, in your opinion, 
if the knowledge is superior to action, tat kim karmani ghoremam niyo jaisi keshava, then, he keshava, there is another name of Lord Krishna. There are also commentators explain. Keshava. Kakara, Akara, you know, Ka, Isha becomes Kesha. What is Ka? Kakara plus A becomes Ka. Plus Isha becomes Kesha. So Kakara, Akara, Isha. So Kakara, you know what it means? Kam Brahma. Kakara means Brahma. A means Vasudeva. Isha means Lord Shiva. So in Kesha, all the three gods are involved, all the three deities, Brahma, Vishnu and Mahesha. And the word, Va is Gachadi, Anukampartham Gachadi. The one who blesses all these three devatas is called Keshava. Who is the Radhisthanam substratum of all the three devatas? Who is the very self of all? And therefore who is all-knowing? So Lord Krishna, you are the self of all, you, you are self of mine also, so you are the witness of what's going on in my mind, you are all knowing. <coughs> hey Keshava, you know that I am your devotee, you know that I am, I am surrendered to you, you know that I have nowhere else to go, you know that I am totally dependent upon you, and you also know that I have prayed to you for knowledge, so that I can get moksha. Hey Keshava, if this is so, then, Tatkim karmani ghoremam niyo jaisi keshava. He keshava niyo jaisi. Why do you prompt me to perform action? So why do you order me or prompt me to perform the actions? <coughs> and that too, what kind of an action? Ghore karmani, gruesome action. Action that is going to involve a lot of violence. Action that will involve killing of my near and dear ones. So why do you impel me or compel me to perform this action? Because Lord Krishna said in more than once in the second chapter, Tasmad Yudhyasva Bharata. He Bharata therefore fights the battle, meaning perform your duty. Tasmad Uttishtha Kaunteya Yudhaya Krutanishchaya. So he Kaunteya arise, now determined to fight. Because Kaunteya Arjuna is is settled, you know, he actually collapsed in the middle of a chariot. So arise and be ready to fight. So why do you tell me that? You compel me to perform action. And I know that action is binding. See, when you perform an action, it brings about a result. The result brings about likes and dislikes. That brings about further desires. That brings about further action. That brings about the result. That again brings about pleasure and pain. Likes and dislikes. Action is binding. Karmana baddhyate jantuhu vidyat. There is a famous statement from Mahabharata. Karmana baddhyate jantuhu. A jantu, a person is bound by karma. So then, do you want to keep me bound? How come? See, Arjuna has not understood what role karma or the duty can play in our life. He is ready to give up this duty which is of course a very painful duty, very difficult duty, no doubt. In, in, in the Shastra they call it Prasama Malla Nyaya. Prasama Malla means the, if you defeat the heavyweight champion, then you defeated all of them. So if you can give a solution to the grief arising from death, suppose Lord Krishna can show how death even need not be the cause of grief, then what else can be the cause of grief? Or if Lord Krishna can show how, Performing such a painful action as fighting the battle which are near and dear ones, if that also can be performed as a spirit, means of spiritual growth, then what other action cannot be performed? So Bhagavad Gita takes the worst cases of death on one hand and performing duty which is very painful. In light of that, Lord Krishna is teaching Arjuna. Then we will all, all of us are automatically included in this, you know. Because our situation is nowhere near Arjuna's situation. And if he, he at the end of the teaching can say, Karishye vachanam tava, sitosmi gatasandeha karishye vachanam tava. As a result of this teaching, Arjuna reported at the end, this sitosmi, I have no doubt now. All my doubts are gone, I am very clear, 
the knowledge has come to me, karishe vachanam tava, I will do what you want me to do. Gita started by Arjuna's statement, nayot sed govindam uktva tushim bahuvaha. Arjuna said, I will not fight, saying that he became quiet. And then Lord Krishna started. Then, then is also by Arjuna's words, Karishya Vachanam Tava. I will do your bidding. I will do what you want me to do. Meaning I am free from all the agenda. So Arjuna was ready even to perform the duty in terms of fighting the battle. Which right now he says, Tatkim Karmani Ghorema New Jaisi Keshava He Keshava Oh Lord Krishna New Jaisi Why do you impel me? Into performing this kind of gruesome action. This kind of horrible action. If ultimately knowledge alone is a means of moksha and karma is a binding thing, then why do you, why do you want me to perform karma? So Arjuna knows in his heart that what Lord Krishna says must be right. He is not questioning actually Lord Krishna, understand. But then here in this verse, he is expressing his his pain and bewilderment. He felt, as we said the other day, Arjuna feels that, you mean, Lord Krishna, does he not look upon me as his devotee? Does he not think that I am a mumuksha? Does he, then why doesn't he give me the very best thing? If knowledge is the very best, then how come Lord Krishna does not prescribe that to me? And why does he prescribe karma for me? Like a doctor, which is well known that for a given disease, this is a medicine. How come he is not giving that to me? Giving some other medicine? That's what Arjuna thinks anyway. And so, in a way Arjuna is saying, O oh Lord, it is not proper for you to deceive me. It looks like deception, you know, outwardly. That on one hand you tell me that knowledge is the best. But you perform action. And so, looks like I am being deceived. So Lord Krishna would tell him, what do you think, how can I deceive anybody? I never deceive anybody. And how can I deceive you who is my friend and my great devotee? How can I ever deceive you? So what kind of a sign do you see in me? What makes you think that I am deceiving you? What did you find in what I told you which makes you feel that you are being deceived? And so Arjuna clarifies that in the second verse. Vyamishreneva Vakena Buddhim Mohayasiva Me Tadekam Vadanishitya Yenashreo Hamapnuyam Vyamishra Iva Vakyena Vyamishra conflicting, contradictory. Vakya the statement. Vyamishrena Vakyena by contradictory statements. Arjuna sees contradiction. And Arjuna says, see, a very important word here, Vyamishrena Iva Vakyena. It means as though. Oh Lord, your statements are as though conflicting. You know what as though means? That shows Arjuna's trust that you cannot be making conflicting statements. I know that you are here as my well-wisher. You wish me the very best and you are, you know what you are talking about. You are a great communicator. I am sure that what you have said is very clear. But it is my problem that even as though. So Arjuna is accepting that it is my problem. I am dull-headed person. Mandabuddhe, Mandabuddhe Mama. I Mandabuddhi means what? A person with a limited intellect, with a slow thinking, a dull intellect. So I am dull headed. And that is why I think that your words are contradictory or conflicting. So Arjuna very clearly says, He doesn't know, how can you say these contradictory things to me? He doesn't say that. From what you say, it appears to me that you are saying what is contradicting. It is my perception. 
I know that I am quite sure that you cannot say conflicting statements. Because you are a teacher and I know you and the teacher's job is to make things clear. So whatever you say was all very clear, I am sure about that. But I, my mind being what it is, as we said yesterday, the Arjuna's mind is very much influenced right now by his keen desire to avoid this battle, which is a very painful situation. And therefore, this instinct of avoiding pain is a natural instinct. Seeking pleasure and avoiding pain is a natural instinct. So Arjuna just wants to avoid this. And that's why we said, that is why the renunciation appears very attractive to him from this point of view. And renunciation means, you know, renunciation does not mean that you just renounce things and then wander around begging food. That's not what is meant by renunciation. What is meant by renunciation is the commitment to pursuit of knowledge. Very often children ask this question, Swami, how come wearing orange? Why children? Even in India also people don't know. Some people, even in India also, I'm surprised. Why do you wear this kind of clothes? So people in India are asking this question. Then of course, people here would definitely ask. But why this kind of clothes? Orange. So the orange stands for, for renunciation. Orange stands for knowledge. Because orange is the color of fire. And fire stands for renunciation. For offering. Fire also does two things. It burns and it illumines. So knowledge also does two things. It, it dispels ignorance and burns all the impurities. Fire often symbolizes knowledge. In, in the fourth chapter, Lord Krishna says, Yathai Arjuna. Here, Arjuna, just as the blazing fire reduces to ashes all the wooden wood or fuel that is thrown into that, so also the knowledge burns to ashes all the impurities, all the karma. So, fire then symbolizes knowledge. Because Fire does things like knowledge does. Knowledge dispels ignorance and destroys all the impurities. So also fire burns impurities and also illumines. And orange is the color of fire. So therefore the sannyasis wear these orange robes, which stands for that commitment to the pursuit of knowledge. So you can wear orange robes if you already are an enlightened person or a person who is committed to Pursuit of knowledge and spiritual growth. So becoming, right now as far as Arjuna is concerned, I think becoming a renunciate means avoiding the present situation. He doesn't know what he is actually asking for. Because sometimes you don't know. Just because a fellow is unmarried and he is, you know, there is nobody to cook for him and he is to, you know, and so he wants to get married. He wants to, you know, he wants to avoid the present situation, not knowing what he is walking into, you know. Or vice versa. Similarly also, is avoiding duty is one thing, because it is very inconvenient, very painful, but you don't know what you are walking into. Right now, so Arjuna looks as renunciation, means pursuit of knowledge. So, you would say to Lord Krishna that a wise person is a renunciate, he is abiding in knowledge. So, I also want to be that. But then, you are asking me to perform action. Thus your statements appear very conflicting to me. As though you do not mean the best of me. As though I am not a devotee. As though I am not a mamuksha or a seeker of moksha. And so you are sort of asking me to perform action. And you know. So Vyamishrena Iva. Your statements are as though conflicting. Buddhim mohaya siva me. O Lord, you are Confusing my mind. You are confusing my intellect. Iva. There are two Ivakaras there. You are as though confusing my mind. See how humble Arjuna is. By using this word Iva or as though, he is giving all the benefit of doubt to Lord Krishna. So that's the kind of relationship that the disciples used to have with teachers. Where the teacher enjoys complete reverence of the disciple. And disciple also has reverence for teacher, complete trust in the teacher. Then he looks upon him as his well, you know, well-wisher. He feels safe and secure with the teacher, knowing fully well that he is in the right hands. 
and he also trusts, of course, the knowledge of the teacher, he trusts his compassion, that we can never even question the teacher. How can you do this? How can you say that? So he's used the word evil. You're as though confusing me. I know that you cannot confuse. Your job is to clear confusion, not create confusion. You cannot create confusion. But in spite of you, you know, this confusion is created in me. Bhrantya yojaya siva, as though you are making me bewildered, confused. <coughs> so what is this confusion of Arjuna? What is it Lord Krishna intended to say in the second chapter? The whole thing here is what we call adhikari bheda. Adhikari means a fit person. Bheda means the difference. So adhikari bheda means the different adhikaris or different persons who are persons who are different, who are fit for different things. Meaning that there is one kind of person who is fit for knowledge, another kind of person that is fit for karma. So in the second chapter when Lord Krishna in fact spoke both about knowledge as well as action, he was in fact talking to two different persons sort of, you know. So when he prescribed karma, even to Arjuna also, he prescribed karma the duty for the person who is not ready for knowledge. And when Lord Krishna described a wise person, he described a person who is ready for knowledge. So thus there are two adhikaris. Two kinds of students are there. Two categories of spiritual seekers are there. Both are spiritual seekers. Both are mumokshus, meaning both of them want moksha. But then the scheme that Bhagavad Gita teaches is that the first first stage is karma or performing duty with the attitude of yoga. As we will see, that brings about antahakana shuddhi, purification of mind. Yesterday we said that our mind should become our friend. For us to assimilate this knowledge, even what we understand intellectually, to assimilate that, Swami, I understand everything, but then still I can't do it. Or people often criticize. What is this Swami, this fellow that listening to Vedanta for so many years and still, you know, that's how husband, the people criticize their, their own spouses. One of the spouses is coming here, other one does not come. And then at home they have to listen to this kind of things. Is this what your Swami teaches you? So just because you go to Guru Kalam, you have no right to get angry. That person get angry because I don't listen to Gita. That's all right with me. But you listening to Gita, how can you get angry? How can you do this? But we see here a, a phase difference or a lag between understanding and between the behavior. Assimilation of understanding. That does require a certain kind of a mind. Even if you intellectually understand that I am Brahman and still that does not reflect in the life because the mind is not capable of assimilating. Intellect may be capable of understanding this scheme of reality, but mind is not capable of living up to that expectation. And therefore, preparation of mind also is needed. When mind becomes favorable to us, it becomes capable of assimilating this knowledge. That is called antahakana shuddhi, purification of mind. As we will see, what is it that denies us the assimilation of knowledge or the benefit of the knowledge? Everybody is sitting here is enlightened, really. Everybody understands. I mean, there is nothing new in what we are talking about. Swami, we have been attending camps since last 20 years. Okay. So many people don't need to attend classes also. But in this the Gita, third chapter I have heard. This, you know. And this I know already. I have already listened to Oh, we have been doing, you know, Gita, Vichar, Group, etc. and so forth. And so, uh, so it is not that unless people who are new or very, you know, did not have adequate exposure, but in an audience like what we have in front of us, they are all zero to infinity, everybody is there. Meaning there are people who are coming here for the first time and people are coming for 20 years also. That's what makes this thing very difficult, you know, to communicate. 
Because if you entertain people who are new, then the people who are coming here, what are you talking about? They say, come on, proceed further, go far, you know. So then they feel that we are not going anywhere. And if you uh, go at the regular pace, other people, what are, you, what are you talking about? You don't understand anything, it's all going overhead. So that is what makes communication to a given audience very difficult. Who, whose needs do you cater to? <clears throat> so I guess you talk to a middle person, you know, and then uh, hopefully both of them are, they get, you know, something or the other. <clears throat> These verses may not require such a long discussion otherwise, you know. But then we, we just discuss, those who know, they get cl- more clarity. And those who are not exposed, they get clarity. So actually I think everybody should equally benefit because clarity is the name of the game. Getting clarity in knowledge. As Swamiji says, like a Polaroid picture. As you expose it, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. In two minutes it becomes totally clear. So this, this clarity of the knowledge, assimilation of knowledge, is a process. It doesn't take place like this, that you're blissed out or something happened. It may happen also, but still, the preparation of mind in terms of emotional maturity still becomes necessary. Sometimes people have great experiences and they may be otherwise very accomplished people spiritually also. But if the emotional maturity is not there, then you see some of those, some of the very, uh, you know, undesirable traits in them also. In our Puranas also we hear about the Rishis. They always quote Durvasa. Swami, what is this, you know? You, most of you must have heard the name of Durvasa. Supposed to be a very angry person. A great sage. How can Swami, Vishwamitra, how can he be, you know, gets angry? Why should they curse? Why should this happen? So one explanation, how can Bhishma... Such a great man, Swami, how can he make this kind of a decision? So we are always placed in a situation where we defend all these people, you know. <laughs> I can't say Bhishma was like that. No, you, I can't say that. We cannot say this Maha, you know, these Pandavas were like this. Kaurav. No, we have, to, we have to defend everybody. They are all great people, in spite of doing what they did. And so give us some, give us some justification for whatever they did. <clears throat> so Durvasa is just showing to us that look, if you don't deal with some of your, what Swami you were unconscious, whatever it is, still you see, in spite of all that knowledge, the great spiritual accomplishment of a penance, etc. And still, if you are not dealt with all the emotions in your mind, then they may surface now and then. So great people show us by their limitations also that great people also may can have limitations. And that you have to work on those limitations to become really great. So Antahakana Shuddhi, what Swamiji calls emotional maturity. Becoming free from likes and dislikes. Becoming free from all the various impulses so that the mind becomes your friend. So there is Shanti. Last night Swamiji was talking about Shanti. Ashanti, from three uh, sources. One source is my own self. Not only my body, but my mind itself can be a great source of Ashanti or agitation. Because mind does not cooperate with me. I want the mind to listen to this class, it doesn't cooperate. Either it goes to sleep, or it thinks of something else. And so, we need the cooperation of the mind. Antahakanashuddhi. <clears throat> So, renounce basically, a renunciation is for a person who has attained antagana suddhi or purification of mind, who is essentially free from the impulses of likes and dislikes, who therefore has a mind which is his friend, which, is, which cooperates with him, and then alone we can apply that mind where we want to apply it. The mind that has discovered love for knowledge, the mind that has discovered love for listening to scriptures, the mind that enjoys dwelling, deliberating upon them, the mind that enjoys thinking and contemplating upon them. So mind that has discovered this kind of joy, 
of pursuit of knowledge will become a joyful process. Then alone you can commit yourself full time, otherwise you cannot. Part time is Swamiji, how long can I do this? So people become, they come here to Gurukulam, they enjoy when they are here, so I am going to retire Swamiji. Please check with me before you retire, you know, they just retire and then they report to us. So then, you think that you can do this for the whole day, but you cannot. Swamiji, then I get bored. How long can I listen to these tapes? How long can I discuss this? How long can you read this also? And so then you need some entertainment, you need some break, you need some company. That's also fair. Nothing wrong in it. But until then we are not ready to make a full-time commitment. That's all I'm saying. Part-time commitment is fine. But then what is the renunciate? One who has made a full-time commitment. Because there is no other choice now. Once you become a renunciate, then you don't have any source of entertainment for you. These days, of course, sadhus also keep computers and they must be also using internet and stuff like that. It's a different thing. Those things were not there those days. And so, you are all by yourself. You are thrown on your own lap. You have to deal with yourself. And if you are not comfortable with yourself, then you are in a miserable situation. Sanyasastam mahabhaho dukhamaptam Without the maturity that one gains by yoga, if one takes up the sannyasa, then it is a lot of misery. <coughs> so sannyasa is for the person who has gained emotional maturity of vairagya. In the Vedantic language, one has got the vairagya. So viveka turns to vairagya. Vairagya means freedom from raga and dvesha. Freedom from attachment. What is meant by freedom is there is no more control by them. You know, Swamiji's words, when you can manage your emotions, you can manage your likes and dislikes. If you cannot manage your emotions, then you need somebody else to manage your emotions. Then teachers have a lot of problems, you know. So these days, Swamis, sometimes, because sometimes people come to ashram and then they come to course and everything else and maybe they are not able to manage their emotions, then you have to manage their emotions. So that's, that's not right. So therefore, knowledge or full-time commitment in those, those times, right now, as far as you people are concerned, there are no compartments so there are in that you are right now only doing karma yoga and then you will do only jnana yoga. Right now you have combination of both. But those days that was not the case. For pursuing knowledge, you have to go to a teacher who will be in a, you know, far away location. You have to leave your home, leave all your connections, where Swami will burn your all, boat, all your boats, you know, and then go there. So you could not be pursuing, study of Upanishads or Vedanta along with your duties. So finish this and then take up that. Right now you can do both, that's a great blessing. That you can live your day-to-day life, and also, all facilities are there for you to... Because now Swamis come to us, you know, instead of our going to them. And they are so anxious, you know, also. Swamis are so anxious that you please come to us, please listen to us, you know. So we create all these institutions and things like that and keep on appealing to you finally. You support us and you do this and you do that, I don't know, whatever. But then, it's good, good for the people. That Swamis, you know, have, you know, have... Uh, accepted to be in a position where they are asking for help, you know. Please help us so that, you know, Shuddhatmaji will come, you know, one of this evening and will give his uh, nice lecture that we need your support. And it's, it's true also. But in spite of all of them, who would want to do that? Why should you place yourself in a position where you would ask for support of other people? But you do. Because you know, that is the compassion that the teachers have, that they, they want to make this aware. It's very important that this knowledge be available to everybody. It is not only for renunciates. It is in fact meant for people who are living their life. A renunciate has finished his life, you know, active life. Arjuna was not a renunciate and Lord Krishna also was not a renunciate, by the way. And so this teaching is meant to live our life. Bhagavad Gita is like an 
like a, a manual for living life. Like you may have an operating manual to, you know, operate a motor car or some other machine. And so, so Bhagavad Gita is like a manual, like a guide to help us live the life. People think that all Gita Swamiji will come to the class after we retire. What will you do after that? This is meant to help you live the life. Having lived the life after retirement will come. What's the point? <clears throat> and, it, and, and they think that what is the big deal about this Swamiji? This we can, you know, study anytime. You cannot. Because this requires a certain kind of mind. It requires an intellect which is capable of understanding what is all being taught, retaining, thinking about it, assimilating. It requires certain, uh, you know, a certain uh, vitality. Which a person is lost after retirement, then you come in and doze off. That's all you can do. <laughs> because to, to find is interesting also requires certain kind of a mind, you know. Then you can find is interesting, you can... Then, Swami, I keep on listening to this every day, I am so thrilled. So there are people already, they are thrilled at every moment. Because they get, keep on getting new insights, you know, and then... If you relate this teaching to your life, you can see how this teaching is so relevant to help us living our life. It helps in all relationships, helps us in our everything. <clears throat> so first stage is Karma Yoga for Antahagana Shuddhi, then follows the Jnana Yoga in this particular scheme. Not today. Today you have both, best of both, Karma Yoga as well as Jnana Yoga. But here, traditionally, the first stage is Karma Yoga, followed by Jnana Yoga, life of activity, followed by life of renunciation. So, Lord Krishna talked about both the things in second chapter. Arjuna thought that Lord is telling me only all of this. So, one, at one point he says, you perform action. Other point he says, you become a sannyasi, you know. Because when Lord Krishna praises a sthita-pragna or wise person, and describe him as free from all desires, so free from all duties, and that he is a renunciate. So Arjuna thinks that Lord Krishna asking him to become a renunciate. At the same time, in so many words, Lord Krishna says, Tasmad Yudhyasva, but you perform your action, duty. So ask him to perform duty also, and ask him to renounce all the, how can I do both of these things? Now these two are mutually exclusive, performing duty and renouncing duty. Basically, renunciation means renouncing duties and responsibilities. So that you have no worries. Because duties and responsibilities always keep you always, you know, anxious about, you know, what to do, when to do, how to do. Keeps your mind occupied with that. Rightfully so. And as long as the mind is occupied with so many things, Swamiji, from morning till evening, you know, I have a whole house to take care of and their children and then my job here and my boss and, and then my friends are also there and this is also so many demands are there on me. So uh, when you are struggling to even meet those demands of social you know, commitments, where is, the t- where is the leisure? Mind doesn't have the leisure. Swami, even when I am sitting in meditation, mind only thinks of those things. Definitely. Because mind does not have the leisure. So you re- that is why Sannyasa means renouncing all the duties and responsibilities so that there are no demands on you. You are not accountable to anybody, you are not answerable to anybody, and there is nobody with any demand. Therefore, you enjoy total leisure so that you can apply your mind to what you want to do. <clears throat> However, as I said, giving up this responsibility is along with another responsibility of pursuing the knowledge. That your mind must be ready to do that. <clears throat> so Lord Krishna said both of these things. Talked about Karma Yoga also, which is meant for a person of activity, active life, and talked about the knowledge also, renunciation also. So Arjuna thinks that now he is telling him to perform karma. Now he is asking me to renounce. So I am confused. Mohaya Siva me. Buddhim mohaya sivam, O Lord, you are as though confusing my mind, confounding my mind. You cannot be. Again he says, mohaya siva. 
So that shows his reverence. You cannot be doing that. But I, this is my problem. It's not your problem. This is my problem. So now I do not know what to do. I understand that karma also is a means of moksha and jnana also is a means of moksha and therefore I can take up anyone. This is his understanding. Since I cannot do both of them simultaneously, meaning that I cannot perform the duties and I cannot renounce the duties at the same time. Tadekam vadanishchitya. Therefore, you tell me one of the two things that I should do. Nishchitya. You please decide. You please decide for me. Nishchitya, having decided. So you decide, O oh Lord, what is good for me? What am I good for? Ekam, because I cannot do both of them. I cannot be performing action duties. At the same time, I renunciate. Since they are mutually exclusive, a person cannot do these things simultaneously. Therefore, Ekam Vada. Please tell me one. Yena Shreya Amapnoyam. Yena, by which? I will definitely do what you will ask me to do. If you want me to perform karma, I will do that. If you want, if, when I am convinced, of course. Arjuna is not doing it. Although Lord Krishna already asked him. Tasmad yuttishthakam yuddhaya krutanischa. Therefore he counted, arise, determined to fight. He is not doing it. So this much freedom is given. Lord Krishna, I only told you. What do you mean? Why are you asking this? I told you what to do. No, but Arjuna will say that I will do it when I am convinced about it. And Lord Krishna also would want him to be convinced and then do a teacher as our Swamiji is not a consultant. He is a teacher. So he does not give you advice, generally speaking. He also, Lord Krishna, will not right away tell him what he should do. He will give all elaborate analysis. And then let Arjuna come to his own conclusion. So this is the beauty here. That the teacher wants the disciple to understand and come to his own conclusion. So that is why at the end of it, in the 18th chapter, Lord Krishna says, Hey Arjuna, did you listen to me properly? And have you understood what I said? Is your delusion gone? Mohoyam, is your delusion gone? <clears throat> and so, when earlier also Arjuna said, Yathechasi tasakuru. Hey Arjuna, I have completed my teaching. Now, you review the whole teaching. And then you come to your own conclusion. You do what you consider fit. See this? So in this atmosphere of freedom, understand the teaching takes place. The student doesn't feel pressurized in any way that I have to do a given thing. Because if you pressurize, then of course, our Swamiji says that freedom cannot be pursued in the atmosphere of bondage or, or you know restriction. And therefore, the teacher gives total freedom to the student. Here also, Lord Krishna does not expect, demand that you have to do what I am telling you to do. Arjuna will do it only when he is convinced. When he was convinced, he said, Karishyeva Chanamtava. I will do what you are asking me to do. <coughs> so, Tadekam Vadnishchitya Yena Shreya Ham Apnoyam. You please decide, O Lord, what I am good for or what is best for me. Should it be karma or jnanam? Should it be life of activity or life of contemplation? Yena. So I am not asking what you should tell me. You decide. What do I want? Yena shreya am apnuyam. By which I get the shreyas meaning moksha. What I want is moksha. See this is very important. That Bhagavad Gita is a teaching to a student who is a mumoksha. Meaning that one who wants moksha liberation. Even karma yoga will see is possible only for a mumukshu, not for a bhubhukshu. Who is bhubhukshu? Bhokta michuhu, bhubhukshu. The fellow who wants to have pleasures and enjoy life, karma yoga cannot be for that person. Mumukshu, a person who wants moksha. Because when moksha becomes the most important value for me, other things become less important. Then I will be able to let go what is necessary to let go. Yena Shreya Hamapnuyam. Please tell me one thing. By practicing which 
I will get the Shreyas, I will get the Moksha. <coughs> and so Arjuna understands one thing, that these two, the Karma and Jnanam, or action and knowledge cannot be simultaneously pursued by the same person. That one person can do one thing at a time. And his confusion was that Lord Krishna appeared to tell him to do both of them, which he cannot do. In fact, what Lord Krishna meant was that look, karma is meant for a person who is antahkaranam or the mind is not yet pure and the pursuit of knowledge is meant for the person whose mind is pure. This is not quite understood by Arjuna. This is what Lord Krishna will clarify in the in subsequent discourse that he gives in response to these two verses that Arjuna has asked here. So these verses express Arjuna's confusion because Mohayasi, you are confusing me. Arjuna says conflict, conflict or contradiction in what he hears. And so this this is how the third chapter opens and then Lord Krishna will now see how Lord Krishna now you know answers Arjuna. We'll see in the next class. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrutavande Bhagavanta Upunapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtayenamaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om